This is In Perspective with Bob Branco and Peter Auchul. Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco, and this is episode 253. With us today, as always, my good friend and colleague, Peter Auchul. Peter, what's going on? How are you? Uh, we're doing fine. A little raw and cold and chilly here in Missouri, but winter is gone. So that that's a major accomplishment. It certainly is. And hopefully the days will get warmer for you out in Columbia. I would like to thank Raymond Gay, our producer, for making it possible for In Perspective to be produced. Thank you very, very much. I want to thank Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place for posting our shows on Greeting Door Number 15. I also want to thank the media outlets for airing our show. And I want to thank Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions for archiving our shows on my website. Just go to www.brancoevents.com. Arrow down until you get to In Perspective Podcasts. Click on that and you will see the archives from latest to earliest. They're mostly all up there on several pages. Merci, Jackie. And thank you to each of you who make us sound better than we actually do. All right. Well, I thought what we would do, Peter and I talked about this, and this is a tradition here to try to focus in on whatever holiday is approaching. And of course, this week, we're going to be talking about the purpose of Easter, because as we record the program, Easter is two days away and today is Good Friday. So I thought we would have a panel discussion on what Easter means. And we can talk a little bit about that, the resurrection of our good Lord and Savior and other related topics that relate to this very special day. So with us on the panel, we have the Reverend Michael Garrett. Hello, everybody. Welcome from Missouri City, Texas. Hey, Michael. Well, thank you very much for being back on the program with us. Karen Geriald. Hello there, and thank you for inviting me. I'm in Norfolk, Virginia, where the temperature was above 80 yesterday, and it's a little cooler today, but we're still doing great. Well, Karen, the last time you were on the program was the week of Christmas. That's right. And we appreciated your input then as well. And last but not least, we... I'm sorry, Karen? So much appreciate you inviting me again. Thank you. And last but not least, we have... Brother Nigel Reichards. Nigel? Good afternoon, Brother Bob and everybody else. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm truly honored to be part of this panel. Uh, this will be a first time for me as serving on your panel, although I did serve on one of your community calls. I'm in Boca Raton, Florida, and I serve with Karen um, on the uh, National Church Conference of the Blind. And I'm honored, again, I'm honored to be part of this program and a, a blessed Good Friday to everyone and a happy Easter to follow for those of you who, with whom I will not be conversing until after the Easter season has started. Well, I wanted to start with you, Nigel, because you mentioned a term while we were off air before we started today. And basically what you said is the definition of a combination of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. You wished me a happy, whatever the term was, and I must confess, this is the first time I've ever heard the term. I think you called it tritium. Or tr- 
Okay, uh, today actually is day two of what we call our Holy Triduum. That's Triduum, T-R-I-D-U-U-M. That is correct. Um, it's actually a composite of the days leading up to Easter. Uh, Good Friday uh, starts with Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Sabbath or Holy Saturday. And then, of course, we have Easter Sunday, which... Um, is the culmination of the entire event. It's not part of the Triduum, but uh, strictly speaking, uh, it's kind of premature to wish somebody Happy Easter at this point because we have not completed the Triduum yet. Uh, another popular misconception is that Easter Sunday is it. There's no more, you know, once Easter Sunday is over, the Easter season is over. Well, guess what? Easter Sunday is just the beginning of the Easter season. We have the Easter octave, which concludes with Divine Mercy Sunday, a week from uh, Easter Sunday. And the Easter season goes through uh, Ascension, the Feast of Ascension, finally culminating in the Feast of Pentecost. Which is 10 days after the Ascension. Exactly. Well, yes. Well, you have the nine-day novena after the Ascension. That's correct. Yes, basically that's correct. So, yes, uh, we are in, the, uh, in day two of the Holy Triduum at this point in time. Yes. Well, as we all know, Easter is a very special day, and of course the days before and after, because this whole period signifies uh, events in our Lord and Savior's life and what happened with the Last Supper and then the crucifixion and everything else surrounding those events. And I think it's important, and I think everybody would agree, uh, that this whole period of time pretty much summarizes the fact that Jesus died for all of us. He died for all of our sins so that yes. we could be redeemed, so to speak. And uh, I think that's very, very significant, very important. It truly is. I think that that is the, really the crux of the matter because when, when I see how we look, how we operate today, the fact that Jesus died for our sins is not at the forefront of people's uh, worship pattern, pattern their, their idea of what the world looks like or what the world ought to be. You know, uh, I heard a I heard a, a pastor say many many years ago, we try to uh, put God in a box, or we try to make Him be our cosmic bellhop. Mm -hmm. God, grant me this, give me that, give me, give me, give me. Very seldom do we ask God what we can do for Him, how we can please Him. And even in our in our prayer life, always, Lord, what can you do for me? Not how can I how can I please you? So I think that the forgiveness of sin is is at the forefront where we ought to where we ought to be focused, even in today's life. 
it, it seems to me um, that today, of course, as we record this, is is Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified, which is a terrible way to die. I, you know, this is uh, we don't need to go into the details if we don't need to, but it, this is the day when he really did die for our sins. And the miracle of Easter is that he rose, right? He rose again um, after dying for our sins, yes. and that, that's 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 the I think the. The, the 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 climax of the whole of the whole thing. You know, Karen, I encourage everyone to look into the book of First Corinthians in our New Testament. It's easy to find First Corinthians thirteen, the great chapter on love, but we don't talk so often about what we find when we go just two chapters farther on. We get to 1 Corinthians 15, the great theological summary of what the resurrection is all about, how it validated Jesus' ministry, including his sacrificial death for us, how he came back, rose again in a glorified body. It's not just a spiritual resurrection. His spirit never died, but his body died, and he came back in a glorified body. And because he did, and because he validated that resurrection by appearing to many who continued to witness and give their lives for him, we know that by faith in him, we can look forward also to our resurrection when he will grant us this glorified body. We don't know exactly what it will be like, but the scripture promises that that will be what he will provide for us. And I'm thinking in a world where we are overwhelmed with suffering, persecution, hunger, fear, doubt, sorrow. Of course, we minister to everyone as best we can, but the absolute best thing we can do is to explain the resurrection and the hope that it gives us. The book of Hebrews, also in our New Testament, says that this is a hope both sure and steadfast, an anchor of the soul, and I certainly need an anchor of the soul right now. So every year, Easter means more to me. I like the secular aspects too. I like the candy and the beautiful clothes and the spring weather and the parties. But the Easter bunny. Yes, the Easter Bunny and Peter Cottontail and the Easter Parade and all those songs that we started hearing when we were little kids and all those Easter chicks and jelly beans and chocolate rabbits that we learned to enjoy when yeah, we were little chocolate, kids. The chocolate ones, that's the good one. Haven't yes. forgotten all that, but the wonderful thing more and more to me each year is the sure and steadfast hope of what Jesus did for us and not only the forgiveness of our sins and his physical resurrection, but also the promise that we too shall rise. And it's something I think about more and more, even as I continue to pray for the people who haven't heard that good news yet. Well, Karen, Karen what, go ahead. You first. Well, 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 and on the fact that she brought up First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 15, which is a beautiful treatise on the gospel itself. And then Paul, you know, I love, I love Paul's writing. I just, I just, just preached a sermon on, on the prayer he did in Ephesians, but, but 
notice how he he lays out his argument such that if we in in verses uh, thirteen through through nineteen chapter and, and he go, points out that you know if there's no resurrection then all everything we do is useless it's in vain he he points out he lays out about seven different things that 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 if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we don't believe the gospel itself. All everything we do is useless. And then he goes on and says, "But in fact, it did happen." And that that's the exciting part about it. And that that that's why what you were saying, Karen, is so true. It's so important. And I think as you grow in your relationship with Christ, then you 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 ready you're ready for that your own you know death doesn't bother me anymore i'm not afraid of death anymore because i i i have a relationship with christ and i'm looking forward to the eternal portion of my life you know this is just temporary but we are eternal beings it just depends on where you're going to spend eternity. I wanted to add something after what Karen said. I know that in the Catholic religion, particularly in my church, on Palm Sunday, the priest will do the what is called the Passion, which con- consists of the events that took place from the Last Supper through the Crucifixion and a little bit beyond. And I really appreciate the fact that the priest, particularly the one at my church, offers that as part of the Palm Sunday Mass. I think it's important that we try to live through it as best as we can so that we can have a much better understanding of what happened, the events that transpired during those two or three days. And I think that's important. I know some churches also have what is called the tenembrae. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, the tenembrae. The time of darkness, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Karen, could you explain a little bit further what the tenembrae is? Because you know more about that than I do. I know the basics of it, but you know a lot more. You can probably explain and elaborate as I cannot. Of course, tenembrae is the Latin word for darkness. And we believe, according to the scripture, that darkness came over the whole land during the latter hours of Jesus' crucifixion from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock on Good Friday afternoon. And then some churches maintain darkness and silence throughout Holy Saturday. And then, of course, the time of great joy and, and light comes with Easter. And I believe some churches don't have any kind of service or music or anything on Holy Saturday, but you all can elaborate better than I because you have a more liturgical background than I do. So well, you, my you, church, my church holds an Easter vigil. A lot of Catholic churches do that on the Saturday evening before Easter. As far as I, I know, that they um, minimize or completely eliminate music from that service. No, that's when the music begins. Um, oh, they they start at a certain point in the vigil. Is that it? Yes, uh, that's correct. So, j- just to uh, to 
throwing my take on this, uh, I went to a Methodist service yesterday, which was sort of a combination of Maundy Thursday, the Last Supper, and and then the crucifixion. And 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 Karen is right. I mean, uh, the the first three quarters of the service, there is the you know the sermon, and then the honoring the communion, and then uh, as as we read the various scriptures of the crucifixion. Uh, the, the candles one by one went out so that by the time uh, we read about Jesus dying, uh, the whole church is dark and we are asked to leave in complete silence. Yes. And um, it was a very moving service you know, it, uh, from, from my perspective. It, it, it truly was. And, you know, no music, nothing. And we won't hear music uh, again until Sunday morning when I get there at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, there'll be no music in that church until then. Yeah, as I say during during our vigil, you know, the, it's really it, it's done very symbolically. It starts out with the entire church building being dark. This is the Easter vigil. The entire church building is dark, and then there are some people out there with uh, with with fire, and then they I'm not exactly sure how it works, but they uh, light uh, their candles from the fire and they process in. Uh, to the church building and work their way up to the front. There are literally seven readings. The Mass generally consists of four readings, most liturgies, but this one has seven readings. Obviously, the vigil uh, extends on into well into the night, but it's during one of the readings that uh, all of a sudden the church building is uh, completely eliminated and uh, joyous music starts playing. It's of course the sun has already set by then. It's uh, Saturday night at this point that this happens. So that's how how we do it. But I, I I'm somewhat traditional. I don't attend the Easter vigil. A lot of people do, and they say, well, we met our obligation, etc. I like, um, as the brother just mentioned earlier, to go there on Sunday Easter Sunday morning at eight o'clock, and uh, hear my first <laughs> Easter hymn at that time. That's just my feeling. Sure, sure. I, I understand what you're saying. And I, of course, I intend to go to Easter Mass on Sunday morning as well. Uh, but so, as a, go ahead. I was just going to, I was going to ask each panelist if, if they wouldn't object to sort of talking about uh, how Easter sort of came into their lives as they were growing up. You know, how, how did, how did you, each of us become, you know, sort of, realize the importance of, of this time of year? How did that sort of uh, connect with your life? Um, you know, it, I learned it, yeah, go, ahead, go, ahead. go ahead, Karen. I learned it from my parents. I grew up in a Christian home, but they did not force it on me in any way. They took us to church. They explained everything. And we also had the fun of the Easter baskets every year. So they didn't forbid the secular parts of it. And we heard Peter Cottontail around the house. But nobody said there's an Easter bunny. We knew that there wasn't a real bunny, just as there's not a Santa Claus. So we enjoyed the secular aspects. But I came to a point where I had heard the gospel enough so that I wanted to accept it for myself, as I did in a very quiet way, all by myself. And then I, I went to my parents and told them that I had received Christ. I wanted to be 
baptized. I wanted to join the church. And subsequently, they obtained a Braille Bible for me. That was such a turning point because then I began to read all these things for myself. I remember, for example, I was reading through the Gospel of John and I found chapters 13 through 17 where Jesus is saying so many things to his disciples that are not specifically recorded about that Maundy Thursday evening in the other Gospels. And I said, wait a minute, here's all this that nobody told me about. I really need to read this. And so over and over again, although I was still going to church and Sunday school all the time, I found many things that people hadn't had time to talk about in church. And it was so wonderful to discover these things for myself. And of course, we know that Holy Scripture is that way, that if we keep reading it prayerfully, we will continue to find every day more and more new things. So I am just forever grateful that I was born in a time when the scriptures were available in Braille and my parents made it possible for me to have them and gave me all the time I wanted to read them and learn from them. That's great. Other people? Reverend Mike? Well, my my experience is is somewhat similar to to Karen's. You know, we it, it's amazing how you can mix the secular with the with the with the the spiritual. We we had the Easter egg hunts and the and the coloring of the eggs, and you know, my my brother and I, you know, we 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 were involved in that. But but we also grew up in the church. And so we knew that it really wasn't about the Easter eggs, and, and uh, we could separate we could separate the two. And uh, along the lines, as I grew older uh, and became a little bit more aware of what the scripture meant, what the what the resurrection was all about, then it it became a a, a heart issue with me. And and the more I grew, the better I, I I understood what it all meant to me in 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 life. And I was I've always tried to pass that spiritual part along to my my children also. And the best thing is, Michael, we go through times out, especially as me, excuse young me, let adults me cut for a moment. going through college, uh, and then me. we're able Karen. to minister to Yes. Hold hold on for one second. Uh, Go ahead, Bob. All right, Karen, go right ahead, please. No, no. So sorry to interrupt or to get somebody off track. I was just saying that often when we get into our young adult lives or go to college, we have all these doubts. And I went through those, too, and did a great deal of additional research to be sure that I could trust the scriptures. And so I'm always really happy when people express their doubts and their uneasiness, because having been through those things myself, I like to be able to talk to others about the answers that helped me. And I'm sure Michael is the same way. I'm sure he counsels with many people who have the same experience. So we are completely empathetic and sympathetic with people who have questions. We've had many of those questions ourselves, probably the same ones. 
And what happens, Karen, I, I believe, is is that especially you, you mentioned young adulthood. When when you go off to college, you get all these different philosophies, all these different speculations and theories, and all of that stuff. And it 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 causes you, it challenges you from what you learned as a child growing up. If you grew up in the church. You get to college, you get these different philosophies. They really try to make you think differently, and so and it's good to have that foundation. Nigel, I um, agree, uh, Reverend. Uh, I uh, I guess you could say that I was a very religious Catholic growing up, and, and when I say religious, I'm, I mean I, I was true to form. Uh, I went to mass uh, every Sunday, and you know I was on the surface very religious, but I really didn't. You know, it was in, in 1982 when I was uh, in college that I was truly, really, and truly born again through the ministry of the Gospel Association for the Blind. Uh, I was truly blessed by them very deeply, and it was ultimately through the GAB and the GM, the Gospel Messenger magazine, that I uh, contacted and came involved with the National Church Conference of the Blind. But I remember when I was growing up, of course, we celebrated Easter in the uh, quote-unquote traditional manner with the Easter bunny and Easter egg hunts and all this good stuff. And I really didn't understand. I mean, yeah, there's something about Jesus being resurrected on that day. I really didn't understand the significance of the season of the, of the holiday in particular. Then after I was, after I was saved, like (laughs) the very year, I mean, Easter meant so much more to me just spontaneously, and I, I began to wonder, wait a minute, isn't Easter in a way more significant than Christmas? Because Christmas we celebrate his incarnation, his birth, and that's great, but uh, Easter we're celebrating his resurrection, his victory over the grave, his coming out of the grave, his conquering death, you know, from from the tomb, out of the tomb. Um, and come to find out later on that it indeed is a more significant holiday than uh, than is Christmas for that very reason. So it was, you know, the Lord was revealing to me that, uh, you know, the true significance of the, uh, of the holiday. And uh, that's how I celebrate it now. I try to, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the Holy Eucharist and receiving our Lord as you know, in the, on, under the appearance of uh, bread and wine on Easter morning, that's my Easter dinner. Uh, if I go somewhere else afterwards, or if I don't, you know, it's kind of uh, icing on the cake. If I do, if I don't, that's fine. I've had my Easter meal. So my concept of of the whole of the whole season of the whole day really has shifted. I later learned that Easter is in fact an entire season, just like Christmas is a season beginning on Christmas Day and concluding with the Feast of the Magi, January the sixth. Some call the Epiphany. Exactly. Or Twelfth Night, some call it also. But yes, um, Easter. Isn't an entire season, 
And people kind of look at you funny if you wish them Happy Easter the Monday after. And it's like, yeah, I had a nice Easter. Well, you're, guess what? You're still having it. <laughs> yeah, my whole appreciation of everything has just shifted. Now, Nigel, you referred on more than one occasion to Jesus' last seven words. Now, I know a lot of us are familiar with that. Yes. But for those, for those who are not, could you describe those words and their significance? Okay, this is uh, part of what we were discussing before Tenebrae, uh, the seven final words from the cross that our Lord spoke. One of them uh, is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And each of the phrases, we call them words, but they're actually the phrases that he spoke, uh, is reflected on during the Tenebrae. Somebody in the parish is assigned the task of biblically reflecting on uh, that particular phrase spoken from the cross. Uh, another one is, I thirst. Another one is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, the, basically the, the opening phrase or line of Psalm 22, which our Lord was uh, speaking from the cross, uh, a psalm which really is about him, um, spoken prophetically by uh, King David as he penned the words to the psalm. Um, and, oh, Lord, forgive me, I don't remember the other, the other four now, Let but me he help spoke. a little bit, Nigel. How yes, about, Karen. I mean, he said, it is finished. He said, yes. I've, I've completed what my father commissioned me to do to atone for the sins of the world. And then when the thief on the cross repented and said, remember me when you come into my your kingdom, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And then finally, as he was preparing to die, he said, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And that saying validated what he had said in the 10th chapter of John, that no one took his life from him, that he gave it up voluntarily. So at that final moment, having said it is finished, he commended himself into the hands of his father. Exactly, exactly. And so those are the other, you know, each one of those words is, uh, or phrases, is expounded upon and meditated reflectively on by all the present of the tenebrae. And there's uh, the... Uh, the person who gives a reflection, the parishioner, and there's usually uh, a hymn that follows that uh, reflection. It's all very solemn, very sacred, and as was pointed out, um, everybody leaves in darkness after it's over. Uh, actually, after the uh, final uh, meditation on our Lord uh, indicating, he says, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Uh, after that uh, meditation is over, uh, the church building becomes completely dark, and all that's visible, because we have some technology in our church building, uh, to display on the screen uh, an image of someone being uh, laid in a hewn-out rock, and then this huge boulder uh, rolls over in front of the rock, and there's accompanying sound effect. It's like almost like thunder and a loud bang 
and that's it. The screen goes out, and everybody has to, literally has to find their way. I like to quib that we're on even, even ground at this point. We're all, all on the level playing field because everybody can see as well as I can, which is not at all. <laughs> we literally have to find our way out of the building. Well, listening to In Perspective, and my name is Bob Branco, and my co-host is Peter Rauchel, and we're talking to the Reverend Michael Garrett, Karen Gerield, and Nigel Reichardt's about the significance of Easter and the days before, during, and after the special holiday. Peter, you were going to ask something. I'll let you do that, and then we can open up the program to our participants. I think I'd prefer to just open it up to the participants. So, Ray, if you're available, could you please give the uh, uh, raise your hand and um, mute and unmute uh, uh, patter, please? We will start with Jane. You are up first. Jane. Hello, Mike. Hello, Peter Hi, and Jane. Michael and Bob and Nigel and Karen. When I think about Easter, and it is a beloved holiday for me, I grew up with some of the traditional things, was always frustrated because they were never enough. I never got enough chocolate. I never got enough. It wasn't fair. I didn't find the eggs. They were frustrating. Um, secular you, things uh, for me. In, in other words, you never met the Easter Bunny. Well, I don't know if I did or didn't. But anyway, I met Santa Claus, and that was close second or yeah. first. But what I want to what I want to say is that um, I have loved hearing you each of you speak about church as a gathering place, a place of belonging and being and doing and remembering. And even more, I appreciate that each of you has spoken about coming to that place in and of yourselves where understanding that the resurrection applies to you, that means a lot. And when I think about... Um, for all have sinned, um, to finally come to a place where I could define that for myself as that I've done wrong. I cannot ever be perfect um, without God's grace. And grace is the gift of living in me, through me, and reaching out to others in and through me. And I love thinking about darkness. So many people in the world are terrified of darkness. Yes, it's a heavy, sorrowed down place. At the same time, it can be a place of loss where room is made for living, for growing, for becoming. And I love thinking about what we won't be once we get to be in eternity and I think about glorified bodies, and I can't wait for a glorified body that will be whole and will be able to know and be and do and feel and walk and sing and dance and speak and write and all of it with God's blessing. And I love John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, where it so clearly says, Nobody can take us out of his hands. I and my father are one. And so that's what I 
love about Easter today in my life and am glad for the opportunity to say so. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jane. Well said. Much appreciated. Next up, we have Mary Carla Hay. Mary Carla Hayes, sorry. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we can, Mary. I, first of all, I really want to thank you for doing, you don't know how much this, this program means to me today because I am absolutely alone. You know what I mean? I, I don't have any family. All my family's moved away and I've had people die. And, you know, my brother just moved to Alabama. He was the last one that was here. And um, so my Easter has sort of been stripped down to the core and the core being the important thing i mean there isn't going to be any easter bunny coming to my house i guess i was a bad girl i don't know mm-hmm. but um in, in our church we have um the like tonight i'm going we're having a um a good friday tenebrae service and we have the maundy thursday i was there and then on sunday i'm gonna go but um they're, they're, and then i i feel guilty about this but I feel sort of lonely um, and I feel sort of, and then I think, well, what right do I have to complain about not having family around or something when he suffered so much on the cross and for, you know, and it, it does sort of put me in touch with, with things. And so I spend my good Friday on a very introspective way. I, you know, I don't have any, you know, I, I, I try to observe the 12 to three time and I, I try to, you know, to just be very introspective and not do any work and keep things quiet and, and, you know, tomorrow's going to be a unique day because I'm participating. Well, at least I entered something for the concert for Ukraine. I don't know if it'll make it or not, but I wrote this poem and I interposed it on top of the Ukraine national anthem. But um, I, I, I had a question, too. Um, and the question is, I'm not a Catholic. Um, you know, I'm a, a Presbyterian, but I've always been fascinated with the Stations of the Cross. And I prayed the stations this morning with the Catholics that were on the community. And um, I wish that they have on EWTN on Good Friday evening. And it used to not come on until later at night, like 8.30. And unfortunately, tonight they're running it from 6.30 to 8. And that's when I have to go to church. So, um, you know, that's when I'm going to church. And what I like at being a linguist is they say all the different things in the different languages and everything. But my question is, um, for those of you that are that are Catholic that are on here, um, about the origin of the Stations of the Cross. And um, I'm curious about, are the Stations of the Cross universal or is there some leeway and some, for a lack of better words, um, wiggle wor- um, room in there for, you know, making things slightly different? Because I've heard different um, performances of the stations and sometimes the wording changes. So that that's my question. Somebody want to take a run at that? Uh, Aaron, Nigel, Reverend? I think the Stations of the Cross, if I'm understanding correctly, refer to different points in Jesus' journey to the cross. Is that what you mean, the questioner, um, the yes. way that the journey of Christ to the cross in, in Jerusalem is portrayed? Is that it? 
Yes, in fact, I, I've done the, the the stations up in Canada, Trois Rivières, where you actually go up the hill and you know you go through all the stations that way. But yes, that's what it is. It's the way of the cross, and like um, the first one is, you know, Pilate condemns him to death, and right. then it, he falls the first time, and the second time, and the third time. You know, it goes through them, but there are fourteen of them. But sometimes they're worded differently, and um, I just wonder, um, you know, what what the origins of them were, or if they are universal, or if they're not. Um, I'm just, that's what I want to know. I think they're all based on the accounts in the Gospels, but since the details differ from Gospel to Gospel, there could be differences in the order or the number of stations, and we don't know everything that happened to Jesus all along the way. He may have fallen many times, because as you know, finally, his cross had to be carried by someone else because our Lord was so weakened by loss of blood and the beatings he had suffered. So the stations of the cross could be observed in many different ways. And I don't think there's just one. Nigel, do you was, uh, go ahead, I, Michael. I was just going to say, I, I wasn't familiar with that terminology, but but in in each each episode or each it, it's sort of like a scene, you know, different scenes that get changed. But but there's a there's a message in each of those in each of those episodes. Everything that happened uh, from 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 the uh, the arrest. Well, well, you could go all the way back to Palm Sunday, and, and every day that week, and all of those episodes that led from from the arrest to the trials to 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 Monday, Thursday, uh, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, to the resurrection. There is a message in each each episode that you know, uh, even when when Pilate's wife you know, told him, you know. That, that you know you, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree, and he came. He comes out and washes his hands. I find no fault in him. There's a message in in all of those episodes. I want I wanted to react before we move on to something that, that I think that Carla said, which is the idea of feeling guilty because of how you feel, and um, as one who's talked about feelings a lot in my writing elephants book. It reminds me that 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 Jesus felt all kinds of things, all kinds of uh, uh, anger and and uh, being uh, deserted and all kinds of things that are uncomfortable feelings. And I think I don't I think feeling them is perfectly fine. It's how we what we do with them um, that that separates the if you will the, uh, the the positive from the not so positive if you will. So I think the feeling those feelings are, is a legitimate thing, um, you know. Uh, but how we how we harness them is what is is what makes the difference. If that makes any sense? I think that's true, Peter. Um, he felt all the emotions that we feel, and there's certainly no reason to feel guilty about loneliness because he experienced that too. When you read about his account uh, of his prayers in the garden where he wanted his disciples to 
watch and pray, and they kept falling asleep. And obviously he was hurt and sad that they couldn't seem to stay awake and watch with him. He was lonely. He knew what was coming. It was a very difficult time for him. So we all need companionship in our times of loneliness. I'm just so glad that our questioner tuned in and let us help to bring a little bit of Easter company to her. And hello, Carla. How are you? <laughs> okay, it's nice to hear from all of you. You all seem like old friends, but Michael, you and I go way back. <laughs> right, yeah. All right, well, thank so we you very have, much. Um, three people that we're going to get to right now, and one person, if we can get back to you, we will. But since you've already been up once, I'm going to try to get the other three first. And no offense to anyone. Um, first up is phone number ending in 597. And then Glenn, and then uh, Alyssa. Calandra, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, first of all, I love your presentation. It brought me back to the times that I uh, had Easter when I was growing up. Even though we didn't have much, we always had some things. But I didn't get saved until I was 22. Not to say that I haven't heard of the resurrection or what Easter was about, but um, how how did y'all celebrate? I mean, did y'all at least have uh, loved ones or friends that you celebrated Easter with? Oh, yeah, I had my mom and dad, my whole family, really, my mom, dad, and my brother. And for me, it was like uh, the same in the same vein as Christmas. In other words, we'd have our uh, we'd, we'd go to mass in the morning and it would be like uh, this is before I was saved, of course. Uh, after it was over, it's like, okay, now we got the religious part out of the way. Now we can start having some fun. You know, it's, it's a typical typical situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, of course, now that I've been saved, you know, everything has taken a different, uh, different direction. But yes, um, I was blessed with uh, family, uh, my parents and my brother. We would uh, always share Easter together, until he went away to college, and then it was just a three, you know, just my mom and dad and me, the three of us. But yeah, I was always, and then when I went to college, you know, there would be. Um, you know, the other students uh, who were my future brothers and sisters, we would go to the, um, you know, to mass at the uh, college, uh, the parish, which at that time, well, it still is actually, it's off the church building yeah. just off campus. But yeah, so I've, I've had the uh, support and the fellowship of family and friends during Easter. Did y'all go out Easter and hunting when you got older? We uh, we did go out, yes, or we would typically would have uh, dinner at some Easter dinner at somebody's house. But uh, as time went on, and even after I became saved, and uh, my dad fell asleep in the Lord, uh, my mom, my aunt, and I would go out to Easter dinner after uh, Holy Mass. Oh, that sounds very well put. Well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Calandra. Calandra. All right, we have three uh, other people Glenn now. So, uh, Glenn, you're up next. Glenn? Hey, am I coming clear enough? 
<laughs> Try again. Am I cutting it clear enough? Not really. No. I'm sorry, yeah, Glenn. I can no. hear you guys clear. You can clear You're chopping up. Glenn, huh? Glenn it, it ain't working. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Glenn. We're going to have to uh, pass you this time. I'm sorry. Nothing personal. It's a Zoom cork. Yeah, That's the best way I can explain it. Uh, Lisa or Lisa, you are up next. I apologize if I have messed up your name in any way, shape, or form. You can call me Lisa. Um, yes, I have a question and a comment. So um, I'll just make the comment first. When I was a child, when my grandfather died, I thought that he was going to come back to life on Easter Sunday because he was buried on Good Friday. Um, and when that did not happen, I thought that God broke his promise about um, about resurrection. And I didn't kind of um, understand that for a long time, that it wasn't a broken promise. It was just, you know, I was it was a child, so I misunderstood. Um, so I urge everyone that when you are talking to children, that you make it clear that it's not going to be right right away. Um, and the question I have is that I've met a lot of people and known a lot of people who get stuck on the I've sinned and I'm a terrible person. And they never get to the resurrection part because they can't get over that, you know, I've sinned and I don't deserve um, what Jesus did. And, and they get so caught up in that that they, they can't feel the joy of resurrection. Um, and I'm sort of the opposite. I feel the joy of resurrection, but I'm not really good about the, I mean, I, I feel bad about Jesus' suffering but I don't actually, I can't experience it the way I feel like I should. So I just wanted to hear some comments on that. Can I, can I, can I jump in there, guys? Please. I've been trying, I, I, I want to get this in. Just before the ascension, Jesus, Jesus said, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Told them this, that this, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and, and, and rise again from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And she said, you are witnesses to this, and, and this will fulfill the promise that God, that, that God made. So, so... People have people's minds have to be opened so that they can understand. Yes, I have sinned. All have sinned, but that's what the resurrection is all about. That's what the the whole gospel, the whole mes message, the death, burial, resurrection is all about. With the forgiveness of sin. Other reactions to the panel? I have a reaction, but I'd like to give other panelists a chance to react. I think, Peter, that uh, some people by temperament are a little more inclined to focus on the sinfulness of our condition, and some are a little more joyful at heart. But as we continue 
spending time in the scriptures, we, we learn to strike the balance. We know that we can be cleansed from all our sins if we ask, and we know we can look forward to the joy of our resurrection. But the Lord is gracious and knows everything about each of us and knows that the way that we respond may be different according to our temperaments and talents. So I would just like to throw this little comment into the stew, if if, if uh, Easter stew, if it, if as as you wish. Um, two comments. First of all, each of our journeys are different, and we are each of us are individuals. And I think it's and Jesus made us that way. So we're going to experience things differently, and that's wonderful. Um, the other thing I would say is I think there are times that words really aren't the answer. Um, you know, Lisa talked about you know, not fully feeling the joy. The only way I think that that can happen or not feeling the sin or whatever it is, is, is to be around people who are experiencing it and, and, and to be, in, to be in a community of, of, of saints, if, if you will, uh, who, you know, who, who you can, who you can learn from and support, you know, be supported and support. I think sometimes we, we, we preach too much and, and don't show enough, if that makes sense. Uh, and so I think there are times when the, the fewer words are, Fewer, fewer words, more action, I think, really can be helpful in these, in these kinds of circumstances. Um, and that's sort of my reaction to that. I, I, I'm sort of tired in my, as I get older, of being preached at. I want people to show, show, show things um, that I can benefit from, from their actions. And, and I hope I'm doing the same thing to other people as well, obviously. But I think sometimes we have to show first before we're, people are ready to listen to us. And that's especially true when we're talking about something as important as this. But I think have Peter, about people, people, people have to know what, how to act. And, and that comes by knowing what the, what, the, what the Bible says. Right. But people don't, in my experience, people don't want to hear my opinion, what the Bible says until they, they see that I'm a, you know, that I'm acting in a, in a, in a, in a quote unquote Christian way, whatever that is. I, I think, I think the two are connected. I would like to uh, mention, we have one last caller. Um, or participant. Uh, so if we can get a little more feedback on this, and then we'll grab the last. And we have two minutes actually. So okay. So uh, last caller zero four one. Uh, phone number ending. Hi. Um. Hi. This is Marta. Um. This is my first time calling in perspective. Hey, Marta. I, how are you? And welcome. I'm. I'm fine, Bob. Um. I just. I need to email you about something because, um, but it's been a crazy week. Um, I just lost my mother Sunday. She died Sunday. And um, so that's been difficult. And I just wanted to say to the person who called about being lonely that I understand that because I'm feeling similarly um because my husband has to be out of town and I'm going to be alone on Easter too. And my family's very scattered. So I understand that. And, um, my I prayers pray are with you, Marta. Thank you, Bob. Um, and I just wanted to thank the panel. And, um, this has been a very special and very, um, meaningful podcast. And I hope to be able to tune in again other times. Thank you, Marta. And, and you're always uh, welcome to participate too, Marta, anytime. And our, our prayers are, of course, with you, and uh, we're sorry for your loss. I mean, it's a difficult Thank time. You. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Any final thoughts from our panel before we conclude? We have about 
Well, we have about 30 seconds to a minute. We're just praying for everyone who needs help and encouragement. And we're so thankful that we can, by God's grace, live a life that will encourage others. As Peter said, I, I love the comment that there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. So we really need to be in fellowship with others. But those others ideally will be people who truly reflect the love of Christ. And that's what I pray for myself, that I am able to share his love with others, even as I share the, the hard and easy things about the scriptures. Exactly. Let me say this right quick. If if you if you invite him in your heart, he will show you how to act. I couldn't agree with you more, Reverend. We are out of time. I want to thank the panelists, Nigel Reichards, the Reverend Michael Garrett, and Karen Giriel, for sharing their thoughts with all of us today about the significance of Easter and the resurrection and what Jesus did for us. We really appreciate your time. I also want to thank our participants, and of course, Peter and Ray, for another great In Perspective. Next week, we're going to have on our program Annie Chiappetta, an author, and she'll be talking about her latest book. She's written several. She's a very good writer, by the way. So come back and join Anne and the rest of us next week. In the meantime, I will convey this message as I've conveyed almost on every other program. Go safe with God's abundant blessings, every one of you. Happy Amen. blessed Easter to all of you.